For too long, the history of slavery in Canada has been left unacknowledged. Racism as we know it today are the post-colonial consequences left from this time. Black Canadians have long faced oppression in Canada, from the Atlantic slave trade to forced sterilization to Africville to high rates of Black Canadians dropping out of schools and incarcerations in prisons. Today, the times are changing. Grassroots movements such as Black Lives Matter are saying no more to the status quo, and activists are shedding light on the inequities faced by Black Canadians. In February 2018, the movie Black Panther hit screens and came out with full, beautiful force to showcase boldly and unapologetically Black people's strength and empowerment. I'm your host, Mai, and in this episode, Black Parents Matter, I continue my conversation with Leroy Newbold, Director of Black Lives Matter Toronto Freedom School. We discuss the importance of a school like this and how it offers children the chance to learn about Black Canadian and diasporic history, anti-Black racism, and the Black Lives Matter movement. So what was it like growing up um, as a Black queer person in in Edmonton versus kind of coming to Toronto? Yeah, um, I had a tough time growing up there. It's hard to grow up there as um, a black kid and, and it's hard to grow up there as a queer person because um, there's not a lot of other queer people around you that you would have um, access to growing up. And the type of education that I received was very conservative and kind of, yeah, invisibilized a lot of parts of my identity. And I think that that experience really informs a lot of the work that I do. Um, Living in Toronto, we talk a lot about the push-out rate and the 40% of Black youth who don't make it through high school. And definitely that's reflected in my family. My brother was pushed out of high school around grade 10. And myself as somebody who made it through the system, I often think about how making it through that system doesn't mean that the system works for you or that you got what you needed from it. Um, Because I made it through school, but I never really learned anything about um, myself, my history, my culture as a black person. And definitely um, the curriculum wasn't catered to me as a queer person, trans person. Now being... um you know, a parent to yourself, what are some of your, your concerns in terms of raising your own kid through this system? Um, well, I guess one of my concerns is safety. Um, I'm the parent of a, of a, of a trans child as well, gender nonconforming child. And one of my concerns is when my child goes to school, they will be safe. Um, and if they will have the type of accommodations that are necessary for them to feel comfortable and to feel seen. And as well, I guess one of my concerns um, with raising a Black child is whether they will be offered a curriculum and content that they can relate to that touches on, you know, their rich history, not only um, you know, getting to learn about their culture, but getting to learn about histories of resistance for Black people here in Canada and across the diaspora. Um, and I think that 
my my child goes to school in the Toronto District School Board, and there's a lot of work and change that's being done through that particular school board. Um, but we still have a long ways to go in terms of adequately servicing black kids. What do you what are you observing in terms of what's changing in the in the Toronto District School Board, and then what what are where are the gaps uh, still exist? Well, um, this year the Toronto District School Board, uh, the largest school board in Canada, was the first to get rid of the school resource officer program, which I think is huge. Um, the idea that the board acknowledged that black children and families don't feel safe with our children going to school with police officers, um, you know, offering programming and monitoring hallways and collecting data and information about our children. And I think that was a very progressive step. Um, The Toronto District School Board was also the first school board to commit to anti-Black racism training for all levels of staff. And I think that's a huge step. Um, I think the policies of the board are very, very transgressive in terms of the trans accommodation policy. Um, And where we have work to do still, I think, is on implementation. Um, All of these policies look amazing on paper, but whether they translate to positive experiences for all, you know, children of color and trans and queer kids, um, you know, I think that's where the work needs to be done still. Mm. So, so give me, give me, how did you get into um, becoming one of the founders and, and leaders in the Black Lives Matter Toronto movement? What's your story? Um, well, I came into education for the same purpose that I do everything, um, which is for the liberation of my people. And really what I wanted to contribute to, um, the Black Lives Matter movement and to organizing was to improving the conditions, um, of education for our, our children and improving the quality of life for black parents and families. Um, So I came to the work from very deeply personal experiences, Um, you know, seeing my own family reflected within that 40% push out rate, Um, you know, having personal experiences in my family in terms of police violence and in terms of, um, experiences with the justice system in my family. So I wanted to be part of a movement for change, basically. So I know like, I I know a lot of the the people listening, I think, I mean, Black Lives Matter Toronto has been in in the news so much in the past uh, few years, but let's still, let's still delve into the history of what it's like to be black in Canada. Um, You know, what if if you were to start if we were to start talking about the history of how black people have been treated in Canada what what are some of the things that stand out um, that you would want to share with people well I guess a big thing that stands out to me is um invisibility and erasure and um the kind of denial that Canada has in terms of our histories of enslavement histories of segregation and um, histories of systemic racism. 
I think there's a big tendency in Canada to talk about how we're not as bad as the United States um, when it comes to racism, which is a really strange moral compass to employ. Um, but yeah, I think that there's people who have been doing amazing work to highlight our contributions and who continue to do so. Um, this work, uh, this year, the work of Robin Maynard came out with the book Policing Black Lives. And it looks at the history of state violence towards black bodies in Canada over centuries. And, um, yeah, I think that that work is really starting to move more to the forefront of the conversation as both, you know, the, the province of Ontario and the city of Toronto start to acknowledge anti-black racism because of the activism of black communities. Yeah, we're seeing, I mean, it's interesting because we're seeing um, some really great work around the reconciliation movement and Indigenous peoples. Um, and we're not, I don't, I mean, we're not right quite at that point in history yet where we have the same acknowledgement of what's happened to black people in Canada. I was thinking about it in Halifax, how um, a lot of the activists were trying to get an apology out of the Canadian government for um, how black people have been treated in Canada. And that hasn't quite come to fruition yet. Um, Do you have thoughts on um, what, like what's needed in, what's needed to, to kind of get us to really acknowledge, to get Canadians and to acknowledge um, the, the history of enslavement that, that Canada has participated in? Mm. Well, I definitely think education is needed um, on a greater scale. Um, and I think that things like ap- apologies from the Canadian government are gestures towards oppressed communities, but what really needs to happen Um, is change. And, you know, if those apologies don't come with, um, you know, um, pardons for people who have been wrongly incarcerated um, or who have been victimized by um, by the state in a number of ways, then those apologies feel kind of empty to our communities. So I think what's needed is a, is a, in terms of education, overhaul of the education system, where we really, like I said, get to determine what the education of our children is going to look like, um, and that we get the opportunity to ensure that marginalized voices um, are at the center of, of, of that education. So let's talk. Let's talk about the Freedom School because I, when I saw this come out three, I think it was three years ago. I was so excited by it. I mean, tell me yeah. the, the background and like how did it all come about? Well, it's been a really amazing experience to get to collaborate with kids and youth and other parents on developing a program. Um, and the program really focuses on three things. It focuses on teaching that Black Lives Matter and teaching self-love. And it teaches about the his- about histories of resistance for Black people in Canada and across the diaspora. Um, people like Nanny of the Maroons, um, events like Bassa Rebellion, uh, places like Af- Africville, people like Mary Joseph Angelique, um, so that our children can understand that we come from people who have always um, fought conditions of living that have been unfair. Um, and it also teaches kids about community organizing, so they get the chance to organize their own um, rallies and protests and events about issues that impact them, issues that they want to highlight. 
Um, and so we're heading into the third year of our program. And across the way, we have um, added more components of the program. Like last year, we um, had a transformative justice league for the first time. So any issue that came up within the program uh, in terms of conflicts between children were handled using transformative justice. And I think that was really one of the most beautiful things for me because um, it gave me an opportunity to see what it's like when our kids don't experience punitive discipline. And, you know, hearing all this, all of this about how our kids are constantly overrepresented, uh, sorry, overrepresented in suspensions and expulsions. Um, it was beautiful to see um, another form of justice taking place in the educational setting. And um, we were able to train youth leaders on how to conduct a transformative justice circle um, and give them, you know, um, insight into different um, philosophies around discipline. Hmm. Um, how do you, what do you, what are you finding is the response of um, like the students in the school, like to, to getting this kind of alternative education? What are some of their responses? Well, I mean, some of the kids in the program talk about how, you know, in their regular school, they spend most of the time with their desk in the hallway um, or being in trouble or, um, you know, um, never really having an opportunity to learn about Blackness. Um, so the kids have an amazing reaction to the program. And parents talk about how, you know, this is the first time their child really felt excited about going to school. And why it's really important to me is because it shows how in another context, our youth are so boundless and brilliant um, and limitless. And I think that, you know, constantly seeing the context of anti-Black racism in education is, is important to have that reminder. Mm. Why, why is it that, um, like the kids in your program, they experience this really positive experience at the Freedom School? What's going on in the schools? Do you think that they spending most of their time in the, you know, out in the hallway or not engaged? What, what's the differences in, in how they're being engaged and taught? Well, part of it is the content. They're not learning things in school that they can relate to. Um, a lot of the times, um, I think sometimes teachers um, who aren't from our communities could have a hard time um, or feel uncomfortable addressing some of the issues that our students deal with, like police harassment or like incarceration of a family member um, or things like that. Um, if you don't come from our community, then you might not understand how those topics are age appropriate for young children or how to make the conversations age appropriate. Um, so I think, yeah, a lack of connection to the type of content that's happening. Um, but also, I think the lack of engagement comes from a particular way of being related to um, where a lot of times sh black children are, you know, um, code switching to go into school and invisibilizing a part of themselves um, and just aren't being engaged with love a lot of the times. You know, um, there was a six-year-old girl in Mississauga who at school, she was having a, t uh, a tantrum, I think, um, and she was handcuffed by the wrists and ankles after her principal called the police. So it's like, 
these type of things are telling us that our children are not being viewed as, as children. Um, they're losing the opportunity to have a childhood and to, to be approached as people with a, an innocence. Um, so I think it's on a number of levels of disengagement from, from content to, to the approach. Wow. You know, like, I know it sounds extremely naive. You probably get this a lot, Leroy, and forgive, you can forgive me in advance, but it's like, because, like, for me, I'm Asian Canadian, so I don't experience at all the same kind of racism, right? So when I hear, yeah. like, what a six-year-old girl has been handcuffed for a tantrum, um, I it's so hard. I think it's so hard to believe. It's just like, how, how does that actually, how does racism to that level actually manifests itself. It's just, it's almost a mind-boggling yeah. concept. Well, I think that in order for us to be allied, like, you know, people of color, quote-unquote, um, with collective histories of oppression, like, we have to understand the different ways that we're racialized and then how that, um, the type of experiences that that produces. Like, um, the racialization of Black people, um, has to do with us heavily being portrayed as, as criminals. And that portrayal is very important to the stripping away of our rights. Uh, you know, like in the United States Charter, people have rights unless they are um, considered to have committed a crime, which would lead to them being incarcerated. And uh, huge segments of the Black population are incarcerated in the United States and therefore denied things like their right to the right to vote. Um, so, like... I think criminalization for black people is one of the, you know, most huge injustices. And criminalization, unfortunately, it, it goes down to even our children. Hmm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think one of the, the hidden parts of our of Canadian history that's such a shame that it's not taught is the transatlantic um, slave trade that happened. <laughs> you know, and that, and that I think there's not an understanding that slavery just turned itself into racism so like even though slavery you know was legally abolished um it yeah. has manifested itself in so many different ways which is what you're talking about them being harassed by police or um the unfair treatment of how black children are pushed out in school and, and different things like that um yeah so can i can i ask you about your journey then with the freedoms, like coming coming back to the freedom school, um, why you think it's important to have a, a, a school that's geared towards um, black children and teaching cur a curriculum that's Afrocentric? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't know, like the whole Afrocentric um, education conversation stirred up a lot of, I guess, um, controversy and drama about segregation, which I always found to be very ironic um, because we live in a country, Canada, with, um, you know, almost 900 reserves. Um, so we do live in a country that has literal segregation as well as de facto segregation, which, you know, most Black children go to school in, in, in Black neighborhoods and Black schools that are under-resourced. Um, so, you know, Afrocentric education really isn't about segregation and it's not about even separation it's about um offering another lens with which to view curriculum so for example if i'm looking at science expectation um that's talking about the migration of mammals 
Um, I might choose to focus on the migration of black people um, into and out of Canada and the laws that surround that because that's what's going to be um, relevant to my kids. So it really just has to do with finding an entry point into curriculum that's going to grab them and that's going to make kids feel like, hey, this is, this is me and this is important. So what's on the table for this year's Freedom School program? Like, uh, what are you excited about for this upcoming one? Uh, I'm excited about the Justice League um, and to keep exploring what transformative justice could look like in our schools. Um, I'm excited to continue collaborating with Indigenous peoples um, around, like, um, exploring... Um, decolonization and land sustainability and food sustainability. Um, our kids always go up to Six Nations to our sustenance greenhouse and get to like interact with and build with indigenous kids um, and communities. So that's always exciting. Um, and I'm excited to continue to create resources that can be used by educators that teach about our histories. Um, like last year we did the workbook um, and we always get to work with lots of black artists to create different resources that talk about stuff like, um, Oromo resistance or the Haitian revolution. And, and that to me is very exciting because I know that that can go beyond just freedom school and reach more kids and more families. Um, so the kids that attend, like, are you, is it, um, only black kids or is it also open to other kids? Like what's the, what's the stance on that? Um, the school is open to everybody, although we have limited space, so we do prioritize, you know, the kids who need it most. Um, and that could be because of um, living at the intersections of a number of different oppressed identities, blackness, disability, queerness, um, you know, many things. And so that's basically who the program is for. Hmm. Um, if you could choose, like, if you could choose one of your, the the black freedom fighters from Canada that you really admire most or like the story that's that you really kind of relate to, which, who would that be? Mm, I would say Ayanaija Opaleke. He is, is he eight or nine? <laughs> Anyways, um, Ayanaija is a black trans kid um, from Freedom School. He's one of Freedom School's participants. And um, he's also the founder of a program that recycles prosthetics. Um, and, and distributes prosthetics around the two-thirds world. And, you know, um, for him, growing up as a child with prosthetics, he wanted this to be accessible um, to other Black kids across the world. So I want to shout out him. <laughs> awesome. I, I, think it's, I think it's such an amazing, amazing work that you're doing. I'm, I'm really glad that it's out there. Um, do you have anything that you want to add about, like, um, you know, being a black parent or the Freedom School, anything that you think people should know? Um, well, people should know that right now we have a crowdfunding out there um, on Indiegogo. It's support hashtag BLMTO Freedom School 2018. So if they want to support our work, um, they can go there, check out our website, www.freedomschool.ca. It's been a really exciting journey and just... Um, you know, I feel like it's part of my purpose that I'm here to support the journey of Black kids um, through the world and uh, their exploration, their curiosity. And um, uh, yeah, I feel like it's part of my purpose to love Black children. 
And beyond that, I want people to know that, you know, Black is beautiful and Black children are brilliant and beautiful. Cause